Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I saw a meme the other day. It was a Back to the Future doc. Uh, Marty doc said, whatever you do, Marty, don't go to 2020. You know, and we've uh, experienced a lot of new things including new vocabulary. I'm calling it the COVID-19 terminology. So today I'm going to share some uh, words that have become part of our vocabulary that weren't necessarily before. I'm going to share what they mean, but then I'm also going to share what they mean to me. So first, social distancing. That's a term that we've come to get used to, right? Social distancing is keeping a distance of at least six feet between yourself and another person for the purpose of inhibiting the spread of the virus. Social distancing. Something I've done my entire life, but I didn't know had benefits. Flatten the curve. That's one, right? Flatten the curve. Flatten the peak of the curve of the spread of the virus so as to not overburden hospitals. Flatten the curve, meaning fatten the curve. I must now work 10 times harder to flatten the fattened curve. Quarantine. Stay-at-home orders initially given by the federal government but are now ordered by state governments. Quarantine. Something I experienced many times as a child when I was disobeying my parents and I was quarantined to my room. And the irony was as a teenager, I was quarantined from going anywhere even though gas was really cheap. It's the same today, ladies and gentlemen. Cheap gas, nowhere to go. You've heard the statement, out with the old, in with the new. It's getting used to the new. That's the challenge. So that's why I'm kicking off a new series this morning called A New Normal, What to Expect When It's Over. And we're going to look back in history to the early church. We're going to learn from the early church and the apostles and the disciples to how they adjusted to a new normal, because the challenges and blessings that come along with it, we can learn by looking in the past. And we're going to learn as we look in the book of Acts, which was written by Luke. We talked about him last week. It's the follow-up to his gospel. It's a documentary of what God did following the ascension of his son, Jesus Christ. And it's a documentary of what's known as the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it should better be known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. So the book of Acts introduces what's called, and Paul coined this phrase in his letter to the Corinthians, where he talks of this as the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the new ministry of the Holy Spirit, is within the context and realm of the new covenant. So the new ministry, this new ministry that we're living currently, that happened basically overnight in the early church, was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. We're going to look at that in this sermon. But the people in the book of Acts were living in a time like no other, as we are today. So that's why we're going to find a lot about, I believe, what God wants to do today through his church as he did yesterday in the book of Acts. 
This was a time of the new ministry of the Spirit. There was a new power in the Spirit, and there was a new church that formed by the grace of God. So that was a new normal, and it took some getting used to. And we already have a new normal, and we're going to have to get used to it. And I can tell you this, I think it's going to be better, to be honest with you. I think we're learning a lot during this quarantine time, and God is strengthening his church. So let's talk about the promised Holy Spirit. And we're going to go through just briefly. We can't touch on everything. But first, the Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament. Christianity is different in the sense that our God is in a Trinitarian essence, meaning there's a Father, a Son, and the Holy Spirit, each equally God, but different roles within the Godhead, which is really an example of how the church functions, because we're all equally the same in Christ, but we're not equal in our roles and our ministry. So the Holy Spirit is God, but He has a special ministry that's directly related to the Father and the Son, and especially the Son, because the work of the Son is what initiated the new covenant, and then the new ministry of the Holy Spirit is divinely aligned with the Son. So they work closely together, but with the same purpose to glorify God. That's our purpose. And the Son would glorify the Father and the Holy Spirit would glorify the Son and the Father, and it was always about glorifying God. So we first see the Trinity in Genesis. Now, although it's not clearly stated in Genesis, it doesn't speak specifically as it does in the New Testament about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we can find out the very first book of the Bible, we can see the Trinity at creation. In fact, the very beginning of the book says, in the beginning, God created. Moses wrote this, and God revealed to Moses what was going on at creation. We see the Godhead in Trinitarian form. In the beginning, God created. Then it says, then God said, let there be light. Now, we find out later in the gospel according to John, that the very beginning of his book, says, in the beginning was the what? The Word, the Logos, and he was with God and he was God. And he's the light. So being the Word, he is the one that spoke creation and brought light into what was dark. Now, in between those two statements exists a very important statement about the Spirit of God. In Genesis 1-2, it says, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, how do we know that's the Holy Spirit? Well, back then they didn't. However, the Hebrew word for Spirit of God is Ruach Elohim. Elohim means God. Ruach can mean wind or spirit. So is it a holy wind? The translators translated the Spirit of God. Why? Well, there's many reasons. But you can go through the Old Testament, and one specific thing that really stands out is Job. He writes of the Ruach Elohim, and he writes about him this way. He says, He, 
the Ruach Elohim, is the God who made me. So Job is saying that the Holy Spirit is God and he's a creating God. So the Spirit of God in the first book of Genesis, it says that he was hovering over the darkness and the void, meaning that the creation wasn't in its final form. In fact, it was formless, kind of. Genesis 1-2 is speaking of things coming into divine order when it says that the Spirit hovered over the water. And then it says the Word spoke and light appeared. What's happening here is you have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit creating the world and the universe. Specifically here, the world in the beginning, God created. And what was formless took on form and took on light as the Holy Spirit hovered, the ministry of the Spirit, and the Word, Jesus Christ, spoke. And here we go. Boom. It happened. You know, people say, well, there was some type of Big Bang or anything. Well, God spoke. Boom. Things came into order. And there have been an order ever since. Now, I mean, the world is pretty much out of order, but that's not God's fault. And this world is perishing. And one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth as God recreates something new in its final form. Okay, so we're living in a fallen world, but God is the one who creates. And the Holy Spirit is involved in creation. You know what else the Holy Spirit is involved in? Recreation. Think about it. What was formless and void, the Holy Spirit hovers over the water and the Word speaks, and what was without form and void and out of order becomes into order and receives the light of Jesus Christ. That's what happens to the believer. So what was out of order and formless and void because of sin, the moment that the believer receives and believes in Jesus Christ, the word, the light comes on, the light bulb, because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So the Holy Spirit lives inside the believer. And you are recreated in Christ's image perfectly. Now, we don't feel it now because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen body. But in Christ, we're already there. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. So we talked about that in Genesis. So if you fast forward to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel speaks of something important. He says, God is saying, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So God is saying in the future, because Ezekiel was in the past, sometime in the future, he's saying, you're going to receive a new spirit and I will give you a new heart, and that new heart will be able to receive Christ. It'll be softened. It'll be of flesh, not of stone. So all this is the work of God in you. Now, fast forward again to Joel. We don't speak a lot about Joel, but it's very important because in Peter's sermon, he refers to Joel. In Joel 2.28, it says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see 
visions. So when Peter preached on Pentecost, because he received the power of the Holy Spirit, he spoke about Joel, what God said through Joel, because the people were saying, you guys are drunk, because they were speaking in different languages that everyone understood. And they're like, you guys are drunk. And Peter goes, no, it's like nine in the morning. We're not drunk. This is what God spoke of through Joel, that I will pour my spirit out on my people and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and you will see visions. And that's what Peter's saying. Now think about Peter. I mean, he wasn't, you know, the best student. He fell away. Jesus brought him back, reconciled him to ministry. And here's Peter, you know, the sailor preaching this incredible message. And that day, thousands of people accepted Christ and the church was born. That's that same Peter. That's what the Holy Spirit can do if you would just let him do it. That's what Peter's talking about. Because we're living in this new spirit era. What happened yesterday can happen today. It's the same spirit and the same move of the spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit was given with the new covenant. He's spoken of in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, but he's given this new move of the Spirit with the New Covenant. See, as I said earlier, the work of Jesus Christ, and when I say work, what does that mean? Well, he left his throne in heaven. He came down and was incarnate as a human. And he lived a life that we couldn't live. And he suffered. And he felt pain. Imagine God feeling those things. But he was feeling it in his humanness. And he went to the cross. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. All those things known as the work of Christ. And that had to happen for the Spirit to be sent. The new move of the Spirit or the promised Holy Spirit. In order for that to happen, the new covenant had to be signed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why John the Baptist says in Mark, I baptize you with water, but he, and John speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because we get confused about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, here, what Jesus is speaking about is the indwelling of God's Spirit upon the believer. In Ephesians 1.13, this is a very important verse, It says, in him, Christ, you also, after hearing the word, the gospel of salvation, in him also after believing. So those are the premises you have to hear and believe. Then what happens? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So Paul is speaking of the promised Holy Spirit that comes when someone not only hears, but receives and believes the word. Jesus Christ. And at that moment, the light comes on and the Holy Spirit comes in and you're sealed, which is a mark of ownership. And in verse 14 of Ephesians, it says that it's the deposit or the guarantee or a down payment of your future redemption in Christ, meaning that this body will perish, but you're going to rise like Jesus with a new body. Because think about this. If it's the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, does the Holy Spirit ever perish or stop living inside of the believer? No. Once someone receives the Holy Spirit, you're still, and it's a deposit. It's a down payment for your future. It's a guarantee. 
That's why Christians to be the most joyful people on the face of the planet, because we know this is just temporary. We're going somewhere else. So have you believed in the word, Jesus Christ? If you have, you have received the Holy Spirit, and you're sealed. You belong to God. You belong to him. See, the sealing is the baptism. After you believe, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is people aren't living in the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's oftentimes in the believer's life, like when I'm preaching, I feel the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. But whenever you're doing what God wants you to do, even coming out of your comfort zone, it's not really comfortable for me to be just speaking into a camera, but I know God is using it to minister to people and to bring people into his kingdom. And I will continue doing it because that's what God made me to do. And when I do that, the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Sometimes I don't even remember what I say. Here's what I'm telling you. Am I any different than you? I have the same spirit as you do. The problem is, is are you stepping out beyond your own comfort zone like Peter did and doing what God's called you to do, which is preach the gospel wherever you are and share Christ and be his witness all over the world. That's when you sense the Holy Spirit working. And I hear this all the time. I hear it from new believers. You know, someone comes to Christ and they're like, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just led someone to the Lord. I praise God because I don't know what I'm doing either. God knows. God knows. So trust him. That's what I'm talking about. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have received him. Now let him work his ministry in and through your life. And then next, the Holy Spirit is the giver of eternal life. That's interesting because Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will receive eternal life. Well, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. In fact, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and it's the holy feast of the tabernacles, and it's the last day. And he stands up in front of everyone, and he says, starting in verse 37, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He's speaking of eternal life. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. And this is important, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had to ascend into glory so that the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, would come and dwell in his tent, his tabernacle, his temple, which is the believer. So if you have received the Spirit of God, you have received eternal life. So what do we expect? How does it apply to us today? What do you expect when this is all over? First, expect a new move of God's Spirit. Are you expecting a new move of God's Spirit? I am. He's already doing it. Big time. So the church, remember, the church was born on Pentecost. And that's when a new normal set in for the church. It was never going to be the same. But it included a new persecution. Do you know that the world hates Jesus? Which means the world hates the church. Why? 
because the Holy Spirit lives in the believer, the Holy Spirit lives corporately in the church, therefore the Spirit convicts the world of sin. So if the church has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is working through the church, guess what one of the things the Holy Spirit is doing? Convicting people of their sin. They don't like that. People don't want to deal with that. They want the light to be turned off. They want the church to be put in the dark. They thought stopping the church from meeting would stop the light. They're incredibly wrong. The light is brighter than ever. When this is all over, there's going to be a new move of the power of God if you will let the light of God shine through you. Will we experience persecution? Yeah, we're going to experience more persecution. If I would have told you three months ago that the government was going to force the closing of churches, would you have believed me? No. See, flattening the curve was supposed to last just long enough to not burden the hospitals, but flattening the curve interestingly turned into trying to flatten the church. But it ain't going to happen because the Holy Spirit lives in the church and God is alive. The Holy Spirit doesn't die. The light doesn't go out. In fact, the light shines brightest in darkness. The next thing to expect is a new power in God's Spirit. Now go to Acts chapter 1 that we were looking at. And I'm going to go through these verses again, starting in verse 4. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Jesus gathered them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. What are we doing right now? We're waiting. We're waiting for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard from me. And then verse 5, for John baptized with water. So this is where Jesus confirms what John says but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's speaking of a few days down the road in Pentecost. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, this isn't weird. I mean, Jesus just said something really important, and they're thinking about their kingdom. And they're like, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus kind of rebukes him and said, it's not for you to know that stuff. It's up to the Father. It's up to him. But here's what you need to know. This is what you need to know. You, including me and you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the apostles didn't have the Holy Spirit come upon them yet. We do. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That means that you have the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is the power for? Is it just supposed to sit there? No, the power is supposed to be worked through you to be a witness of Jesus Christ to a lost, hopeless world. The new normal is going to involve new witnessing power if you will let God use you. Where are you in the power grid? You know the word witness is marturos in Greek, which means martyr. You can't be a witness if you're trying to be your own witness. you got to die to yourself. So let Christ live through you. Witness to Christ. Witness to Christ. I was thinking about that today. When I was playing on stages all over the world, I was never comfortable. I really didn't like the spotlight. Although deep inside of me, I kind of liked the applause. When I got saved, I felt like I knew the light came on because I knew 
what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to point people to Christ. And until the day I die, that's what I want to do. And that's what you should want to do. The new normal will involve a new witnessing power. But here's the question, and I always say this. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. The question is this. Does the Holy Spirit have you? What needs to happen? You've already been baptized the Holy Spirit. You don't need to wait for some other baptism. What you need to wait for is trust God and then do what he says. I love prayer. In fact, I know people are praying for me this morning, and that's how I know that God answers prayer. But we can't just pray. We got to go. We got to witness. God is preparing us in this so-called prison to preach. Don't waste this time. Don't waste it. And last, expect a new awakening by God's Spirit. In the mid-18th century in America, something amazing happened. It's known as the Great Awakening. Have you heard of it? There was a new move of God's Spirit on the church. Now, interestingly, this time leading up to this new awakening was a time of trouble and tribulation in the country and in the world. In 1734, in Northampton, Massachusetts, two teenagers died of a mysterious disease. This caused the youth in that city to question their mortality. Now, guess who was the pastor of the local church? Jonathan Edwards. And he encouraged the youth in the city to turn their Thursday evenings into what he called a time of social religion, a time of fellowship and prayer. Now, no sooner had the youth began meeting when a senior citizen who lived in the same city died of that same mysterious disease. This now caused the adults to begin to question the same thing. So out of this small seed was birthed the greatest revival of this country's history. What was the trigger? A mysterious disease. It caused people to think about their mortality and to seek the Lord. I don't know how much clearer it can be. God is using this virus to wake us up. We need each other. We need Christ. We need more times of social religion, inviting our neighbors and our friends into times of prayers, sharing the Facebook link. And when we get back together, inviting people into the kingdom of God to experience the church. And we get our community center, inviting them to the community center to see how the kingdom of God functions. That's what we're talking about. But that ain't going to happen if we're in fear. It's interesting what Jonathan Edwards wrote in his book, one of his books about what was going on. And I want you to get this. I'm going to read from his quote in his book. He said, the congregation was alive in God's service. Everyone earnestly intent on public worship. Every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. Are you eager to drink in the word of the minister? The assembly in general were from time to time in tears 
while the word of God was preached, some weeped with sorrow and distress. Others had joy and love and others pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. That's when a revival happens. That's when an awakening happens. That's what I want to happen. And I want us to be ready for this new normal because it's going to be better. It's going to be more powerful. More people are going to come out and they're going to say, I am I have the light of the Holy Spirit and I want you to know Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm saying to you today. Hopefully you know. You know, they say, don't waste a good crisis. Let's not waste this. The Holy Spirit wants to use you in a powerful way. So how we're going to end today, we're just going to spend a little time in worship. We're going to sing and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come upon us with power. Let's seek the Lord. And uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for turning on the light by your Spirit. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit, but Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd have us. Whatever you want. And during this time, please reveal to us what you have for us and for your church. And no one is less important and no one is more important. You're the most important. We're all equally in Christ, but we have different roles and functions, but it's all for your glory. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us.
baptized by the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. But Lord, we're not living like we are. Lord, may we change. May we be different. This new normal is going to be better as long as every believer takes upon themselves, as the early church did, to be witnesses, meaning to die to themselves so that Christ can live through us so that many millions, I believe millions of souls will come and enter into the kingdom of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.